All right, good afternoon. Uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome uh, Professor Murat Alanyeli from Boston University here. Um, Murat's been visiting us for the last few days, and he's going to be here till the end of this week. And he's going to tell us about fair coexistence of wireless networks via CSMA transmission algorithms. But before that, I should just give you a little bit more background about Murat. He's uh, the product of the Turkish school, um, having done his bachelor's and master's there. And then, like me, he's part of the Illinois Mafia, I guess. Um, in fact, in this case, it may be more so being academic brothers and whatnot. <laughs> then he worked a little bit in Bell Labs as a systems architect, after which he spent four years in Turkey as an assistant professor. And from 2002, he's been at um, Boston University, where he's an associate professor. His interests are in communication networks, performance analysis, optimization, stochastic processes, applied probability, and applied mathematics in general. All right. Hi. Thank you, Vijay. And thank you, uh, Vijay and uh, Kemp, for inviting me. It's great to be here. Uh, I've been uh, going around rooms and talking to people the last few days. I hope what I'm going to talk about now is uh, as interesting as what I've been hearing. I may not live up to that, but uh, uh, I'll do my best. Um, <clears throat> I do a number of uh, uh, things as far as research is concerned. One of the uh, interesting uh, things that I find uh, is um, <clears throat> um, new uh, regulatory uh, uh, frameworks in uh, wireless communications. And what I'm going to talk about uh, today is related to that, and that's uh, basically about coexistence of wireless networks uh, on, on a common spectrum. Uh, so <coughs> uh, I will be focusing on uh, <coughs> a particular medium access scheme, uh, but I'll, I'll, uh, let me talk a little bit about the motivation first, and then I'm going to apologize for uh, all the um, uh, modeling inaccuracies that uh, will be there. Um, all right, so um, we all know uh, the free-for-all type of access called the Commons regime, uh, which uh, for which the best example is uh, 802.11 type uh, standards that operate on ISM bands, part of the ISM bands. Those bands are unlicensed, um, and they don't, they're not owned by anybody. So you could put your own devices there as long as they uh, uh, they comply with uh, fairly uh, smooth rules that are called etiquettes. Now, um, um, the activity uh, uh, in, in those uh, technologies have been mind-boggling, really, in the last uh, 10 years or so, both services and devices uh, innovations in both services and devices have been really uh, impressive. And um, so uh, success there is also brings uh, uh, more and more crowded bands, which means uh, more and more interference between uh, different uh, communicating uh, uh, parties on those bands. And on top of that, uh, at least in the US, but I know that in uh, Europe also, there's, uh, there, there's uh, activity towards opening up more uh, unlicensed bands, like the ISM band right now. Uh, one of those in the US is uh, uh, on uh, TV bands that are on the lower frequencies. Uh, so in those frequencies, uh, propagation losses are very favorable if you want to speak uh, to a faraway party, but that really means that you're generating more interference also. So, that, so there's again the issue of coexistence. If you have two parties communicating on the same um, spectrum band, if, even if they're far away, somehow you have to um, coordinate uh, spectrum access activity so that they don't transmit at the same time. Uh, and perhaps you might have a little, a little more finer uh, perspectives into how you should actually do the uh, uh, coordination. Now, uh, that's exactly what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about uh, what happens beyond collusion uh, avoidance. So I'm not worried too much about collusions, but I'm worried about how to fairly utilize a given spectrum band. Uh, 
Right. So um, the motivation here is to uh, understand a little bit about uh, optimality and algorithms to achieve optimality and possibly protocols in order to uh, fairly utilize uh, a, a given spectrum band. Um, the scope will be on uh, carrier sense multiple access and I'm going to be looking at graphs uh, rather than a single location in which everybody hears everyone else. Um, and uh, uh, I, will, uh, I will simplify CSMA to an extent that uh, some of you may object rightfully here, but I am, uh, I'll try to draw some uh, reasonable conclusions out of that, so hopefully they'll make up for uh, the inaccuracies in the modeling of CSMA. So without uh, <coughs> uh, too much uh, of an introduction, let me jump to the uh, model that I'm going to talk about. Um, let's, let's just consider a single channel, a single narrowband channel uh, that's being used by a number of uh, transmission, uh, transmitter receiver pairs. Uh, narrowband really means that if there are two transmissions uh, that doesn't really suit well for, to the uh, receivers. Uh, no two uh, transmission receiver pairs can uh, be active at the same time if they are close by. Okay. So such uh, constraints uh, will be in the stock represented by what's called a conflict graph. And in this graph, that's an undirected, uh, unweighted uh, graph. In this graph, every node stands for a communication session, a pair of a transmitter and a receiver. Um, and if uh, two nodes are neighbors, they can't be transmitting at the same time. Which really means that the transmitter of one should be close to the receiver of the other or so. Okay. Um, uh, so if you look at this, uh, if you look at the transmissions on this network uh, as a snapshot, what you see and if you just mark the nodes that are transmitting at a given time, that should give you an independent set of the graph. So an independent set is the subset of graphs that doesn't include any neighbors. Okay. <clears throat> so um, so the, the independent set uh, constraint is what we're going to be working with. And uh, I'm going to pose uh, a, a fairness, social welfare type of uh, question on top of that. If you have questions at any point, please feel free to stop me. Um, now, there's a lot of related work uh, on conflict graphs and transmission scheduling on those, and that really focuses on stability and queuing uh, theory perspective, more of it. So suppose, just to go over the related work, it's uh, worthwhile to introduce some uh, notation. Hopefully that's not going to be too bad. So suppose that every node has uh, uh, an arrival stream of packets. Okay, so node 1 has uh, arrivals at rate lambda 1, so lambda 1 packets per unit time. I'm going to assume that transmission of a packet takes unit time. Uh, you can uh, you can imagine a Markovian model, e either in continuous time or a discrete time. Uh, and the question is, what are the uh, uh, values of these arrival rates, lambda 1, lambda 2, lambda 3, up to lambda 9 in that case, uh, for which one can possibly find a scheduling mechanism so that uh, the queues at every node are stable. Okay? So every node has uh, arrivals and uh, Departures are subject to the uh, conflict graph constraints, and um, the stability region uh, is defined, not here uh, in, in the literature, is defined as uh, the, the uh, values of the arrival rates uh, for which, if you sum up the arrival rates over any clique of the graph, the sum should be less than one, because over any clique, you can transmit one packet at a time. A clique is a subset of, completely connected subset of the graph. Only one can transmit at a time, so the arrival rate should be less than one. You can also see that, uh, you can also reformulate this as uh, the convex hull, or the interior of the convex hull, of the independent sets of the graph. So that's a dual 
perspective uh, to this region. Okay. So um, I'm going to call that capital lambda um, and uh, work with this a little bit more. So just remember that this is a situation where uh, which in involves a constraint over cliques. Uh, now, <clears throat> if you go over to related work a little bit, uh, Tassulas and Ephraimides did uh, a had a seminal work from the 90 early 90s, uh, which was actually much more general than uh, what we're, we will be talking about here, and they uh, established that a max weight transmission scheduling policy, uh, a policy that uh, tries to find the maximum matching where um, link weights or node weights are Q-lengths uh, is uh, throughput optimal. It stabilizes the system if that's at all possible, if the arrival rates are within that stability region. Now, um, obviously, if you're looking at the large network, uh, trying to find a maximal matching, maximum matching there is not uh, pretty in terms of uh, uh, practicality, even in uh, complexity. And uh, there's a lot of work uh, in, in uh, more recent work on how to make that uh, a little more uh, practical. So uh, Chaporkar et al. looked at maximal matching uh, variation of the max weight transmission scheduling policy and saw that it, it actually achieves a small fraction of the stability region. The Marcus and Walrand uh, considered the greedy longest queue first strategy and uh, depending on the topology, that might work well. That may realize the uh, uh, stability region. Now, they're all st uh, centralized. These uh, schemes are all centralized uh, and actually still fairly computationally intense. Uh, there are three recent, very recent works that have actually established decentralized strategies that would realize, that would achieve the full capacity region, stability region. Jiang and Walrand, Nian Shrikant and uh, Rajat Gopalan, uh, Shah and uh, one more co-author of them. Um, okay, uh, having said all that, I'm not really going to talk about stability at all. So I think I'm going to be talking about something simpler. Uh, so hope, hoping that I, we can uh, get a little bit more insight out of this. Okay, let's sub let me define uh, without going into how uh, the transmissions, transmission decisions are made, let's define mu sub i as the fraction of time that a node i transmits. So it's not going to be transmitting all the time, possibly. So mu i is a number between 0 and 1. It's the probability of transmitting for, uh, for a given node. Um, now, uh, so, so you can you make up your own transmission uh, scheduling policy, it's going to give you some UIs. Okay. Whatever transmission, policy, transmission scheduling policy you have, those UIs, if you sum them over any clique, should be less than or equal to one. Okay. That's exactly because over any clique you can transmit at, well, at most one packet per unit time. At a time. Right. So uh, whatever uh, transmission scheduling policy you have, uh, the uh, uh, transmission probabilities should be in the interior, uh, well, it should be in the closure of the uh, stability region. So for the stability region, we had strict inequality over there. Now we have uh, less than or equal to. Uh, so, uh, so that's the constraint that we have on probability of transmission. Now I'm going to assume that every node has a certain utility that increases with how much of bandwidth it gets. Okay. So uh, ui of mu i uh, is the utility of trans transmission rate or channel access rate mu i for that node. And I'm going to assume that this is a smooth function. It's concave and it's strictly increasing. So the more node i transmits, uh, the happier it is. Now, the social welfare definition for uh, a situation like that is fairly standard. Uh, uh, the sum over all utilities, uh, uh, over all uh, nodes in the network. Okay? So that, uh, from a 
standard social welfare uh, problem would be to maximize this subject to the constraints over there. Okay? The constraints are linear. Uh, the problem is concave, uh, linear, and uh, the space is compact. Uh, it's a com com convex problem, so that can, can be solved offline by uh, standard methods. Um, our issue is not to solve those with standard methods, but, uh, but to solve them in a decentralized fashion. Right? Uh, so there comes the CSMA or listen before talk type uh, uh, channel access mechanisms. Okay. So let me describe that uh, briefly. Uh, I'm going to assume that every node uh, probes the channel at a certain rate. And if it finds the channel empty, it'll just transmit. Okay. But I, I will impose some uh, statistical uh, quantities on top of that so that I end up with a Markovian process to analyze. All right, so um, uh, here's the uh, local structure of an access algorithm. Uh, let's start up from the uh, top box there. Uh, a node I sets out a timeout, uh, sets out a timer that expires after an exponential distributed time. The mean is 1 over Ri, so there's a parameter Ri that determines how fast uh, the node checks the channel. Right. Now, uh, when the timeout expires, the node senses the channel. If nobody around that node is tr transmitting, because it can only hear the vicinity, then the, channel, the, the node transmits a packet. Packet transmissions uh, have random length. They're exponential distributed with unit mean. But if the channel is busy, if a neighbor is transmitting already, then it'll just go back and set up another timeout. Okay, so that here, that's the main loop. One thing to uh, notice here is that there are no packet arrivals, and I'm basically assuming that every node has always a packet to transmit. Okay, so I, I won't be worrying about stability. So if, if you will, you might uh, think that those queues are infinitely backlogged. Um, but I will be worried about how much of uh, transmission time every node gets. All right, so let's uh, understand it a little bit more on an example. Here's, uh, here's the same uh, mesh with nine nodes. Um, here I put uh, down the activity on nodes one to four only, suppose that the other nodes are not active for the time being. Uh, so those crosses uh, on the time axis, so there's a, uh, there's a time axis for e each different uh, node. The, the cross points uh, are, uh, are the instance that uh, each node probes the channel, checks if the channel is idle or not. Okay? Uh, and uh, for example, Channel one, uh, node one checks uh, the channel first. There's no activity there and grabs the channel, transmits a packet. The red line is the duration of time where the packet is transmitted. Uh, I, I assign an indicator function there. A, a i is one if node i transmits is zero otherwise. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> during the transmission of node one, node two has a probing time, but uh, their neighbors, so you'll hear uh, node one, will not transmit. It'll only transmit after a while when node 1 uh, becomes idle and also node 3 becomes idle. Now node 3 may transmit during the transmission time of node 1 because they're not neighbors. Right. So if you look at the um, um, process that's represented by the red lines, transmission activities, that's the process A1, A2, A3 to A9 in that case, that's a Markov process. Uh, and that's obtained by a very simple truncation argument. Uh, that's obtained by truncating independent binary processes that become one at rate Ri. Remember that Ri is the probing rate. Uh, and they, uh, they become, they, they have a transition from one to zero at rate one. That's the transmission rate. Uh, and the uh, truncation is done so that the state space of the process is the is the independent sets of G. So if you look at 
the, we're looking at A1, A2, A3, so on and so forth. If you look at the ones there, those ones make up an independent set from the, from the, in the graph. Okay? So that's how you uh, truncate. Once you do that, obviously, you can write down the equilibrium distribution. Uh, that's a product form. Uh, as actually, it's very, very neat, and that, that's what allows us to do some analysis here, the very simple analysis, but still insightful. So the probability that A1 is equal to S1, S1 is either 0 or 1, A2 is S2, A3 is S S3, has a product form that's a product of Ri, the, transmission, the probing rate, um, to the power Si, uh, divided by a normalizing constant. Okay, so that, that doesn't depend on Si at all. The sum here is on uh, the independent sets uh, of the graph. Uh, so that product form uh, turns out to be extremely useful. Uh, but I have to define if one more thing before I can start analyzing uh, the CSMA scheme. Uh, suppose that mu i of r so remember, Ri was a uh, transmission parameter. Uh, R is the vector of or all of these Ri's. Okay? So mu i of Ri is the probability, equilibrium probability, that node i is transmitting if all the nodes comply with the uh, parameters in uh, boldface R. So if each node j probes the uh, channel at rate rj, uh, then uh, mu i of r would be the transmission rate of transmission probability or rate of node i. Okay, so that's a that's determined by the global information that's given by you with the whole uh, rate uh, vector r. <coughs> okay, so um, you can you can uh, before I was talking about mu's, let me go back a couple slides. Uh, before I was talking about mu's, and any mu that's realizable should be, uh, should be in, that, uh, in the closure of the stability region. Now, I have specified a particular mu uh, that is determined by the probing rates R. Okay? So that should also be uh, in the um, uh, stability region. <coughs> now, um, um, uh, the natural question to ask is, uh, I, I could have determined those channel access rates uh, not necessarily with respect to a CSMA scheme, but any scheme that might possibly centralize. Am I losing anything by resorting to CSMA schemes? Okay. Uh, the answer turns out to be no. There's an intermediate step, which I'll call the theorem. It's pretty actually uh, uh, straightforward. Uh, I even put an indication of a proof, uh, which basically says that if, if, uh, if you give me any uh, vector of transmission rates that lie in the interior of the stability region, the interior is important here, uh, so if, if you give me some mu's that are in that region, then I can find a vector r such that the transmission rate at node i with respect to that vector r would be exactly equal to mu i for all i's. Okay? That really means that you're not losing much, uh, nothing at all actually in terms of, uh, uh, well, you're not losing um, let me rewind back a little bit, much, and I'll come to that in the next slide, in terms of uh, uh, resorting to uh, CSMA schemes. The proof of that is pretty simple, actually. If, if, if the hypothesis is true, then you can find a function, uh, it's a weird function, but it's uh, explicit, uh, that, has, that is guaranteed to have a local minimum. Okay, so it it's kind of uh, goes to infinity as you go to infinity, and it also goes to infinity as you approach uh, zero at any direction. That minimum exists, it's mu star, and if you look at the first order uh, stationarity conditions, mu star should be equal to mu i of r over there. <coughs> okay, so uh, the corollary to that is 
uh, well, there's no loss of optimality due to CSMA. Uh, so if you maximize the social welfare over any mu in the stability region, then that should be equal to the supremum over the new welfare function. Now the in independent variable is the rate vector r that's maximized over r. Okay. The catch here is that you're on the left hand side you're maximizing over a compact space on the right hand side you're maximizing over a non-compact space and it turns out that uh, as I come in the next slide or so the maximum is right at infinity on the right hand side. Okay. Uh, I'll try to uh, 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 so clarify it uh, on, on this slide. So another theorem that's about the property of the social welfare function, exactly what I said. The social welfare function as a function of the transmission rates uh, possesses no local maxima. Okay. Uh, so uh, if you look at the uh, gradient of that function with respect to R, it's never zero. Uh, you would actually expect that because the more often you check the channel, uh, your, your, your transmission probability will be higher. So uh, you know, there's no point in stopping at a finite value of R. Okay. Uh, all right, so the corollary to that uh, theorem is that if you want to maximize that over all choices of R, then R should be either going to, to entries of R should be either going to infinity or to zero. Okay, so there's no finite value. An immediate example, actually, uh, an extreme example is a star topology. Right? So suppose that you have uh, these five nodes arranged as a star, uh, and you want to maximize. So, so u, u of i is uh, exactly equal to mu i. So that's the identity function. So what you want to do is to maximize the sum of the transmission rates, the total transmission rate in the network or the total bandwidth utilization in the network. And the best thing to do there would be to shut this one down and so that the others would, the other four would be transmitting all the time. Okay? Because if the middle one transmits, then four nodes should shut down. That's, uh, economically, that doesn't make sense. So uh, our i would go to infinity for i is one, two, three, four in the per periphery, but our five should be going to zero. That's the only way you can maximize. And the maximum is four. Can't be, you can't beat four in terms of the sum of the mu i's. Uh, obviously, that's a simple example. More general topologies are really complex. You can't really look at the topology and see, okay, this one should be going to infinity, this should be going to zero. It's hard to say that, and it's also important the rate that those r's go to infinity uh, in, the, in the final analysis. Um, okay, so. Um, so we know we have a situation where we, the, the thing, the, the quantity that we want to maximize is, is uh, doesn't admit any uh, finite uh, maximizers, but we can still pursue the maximization problem. And uh, I will uh, uh, consider a gradient ascent type uh, dynamic algorithm here. Uh, the, the nice thing about this algorithm is that it's ex it is. Uh, it is composed of really a few parameters. Okay. Um, so let's, let's define something here. Let's define sigma ij as the covariance of the transmission activity between nodes i and j. Okay. So it's the probability that they are both active minus uh, the mu i times mu j. Okay. So probability that ai is equal to 1 is we call that mu i. So that's the covariance of the activity. And uh, the theorem really says that uh, if you uh, update RJs, uh, the, the channel probing rates, with respect to a particular pattern, as given here, I'll come back to this and talk a little bit about it, then uh, you maximize the uh, uh, social welfare as time goes to infinity. Okay. <coughs> um, now, uh, if I were to say a few more words about this, uh, I should say that uh, to, uh, uh, the, the right-hand side of this equality is, is nothing but the um, derivative of uh, the social welfare with respect to R, Rj. 
Okay. So that this is actually a gradient system for the social welfare function. Okay. The nice thing is that it, it is a really nice form. Okay. It really says that uh, you would increase I, I, Rj uh, if Rj and Ri, well, let me put, that, put it that way, um, if the marginal uh, utility at node i is positive, and if node i and node j have positive correlation, then node i's activity would help uh, increase the channel probing rate or aggressiveness of uh, node j. But uh, if, if the signs don't match, then that would be a negative contribution to uh, whether Rj would be increasing or decreasing. Um, uh, now that's different. I, I have had some sort of a uh, leap of faith here. Uh, I was looking at a continuous time discrete state space Markov chain, uh, and here this is a deterministic uh, differential ODE. Uh, and uh, <coughs> it's useful as far as uh, uh, insight is concerned. It's not, there's no mathematical proof, but I, I think you can do that if you assume that you, ch you, you change these uh, probing rates slow enough so that you can compute these equilibrium values for every rate before you make that change. Okay? Remember that the sigma ij is an equilibrium covariance, so you really have to compute that before you change r. So r should change on a slower time scale. Let's put uh, the, the implementation issues aside and look at this a little bit more. The problem with this rate update or rate adaptation algorithm is that there are two problems. Okay. First, it needs global information. Okay. It needs the marginal utilities. So in order to change some, a parameter at node j, you need the marginal utilities at every other node i. On top of that, you would need to know that covariance, the channel activity covariances. Okay? So you can imagine some sort of a communication protocol that would disseminate that information in the network, but who can actually, I mean, you need really an oracle that looks at the network and figures out exact timing and uh, correlation val covariance values um, uh, of activity in the network. So that's a problem. Right. Uh, uh, the second issue is explicit signaling. Okay. So these could be any numbers. Uh, so uh, if, if I'm changing Rj at node j, how do I know the marginal utility of node i? I'm, I'm not even supposed to know node i's utility function. Right. Uh, so it could be totally uh, private. Uh, so somehow node i should report that. Well, it requires a protocol. Uh, so uh, those two different uh, nodes should be speaking the same language, in other words. Um, I will, uh, I will uh, try to find some soft uh, fixes to e each problem. Let's start with problem one, uh, and I'll start with an observation that's, uh, that one can easily make on a particular topology. The observation is that the covariances, sigma ij's, decay pretty fast as i and j get, gets farther away in the graph. Okay. So uh, it's hard to put your finger on that quantity on any graph, but you could do that on, an, on a line. Okay. So suppose that your graph is an infinite line, and you're interested in sigma ij, where ij are uh, i minus j apart. Right? Uh, so in an infinite graph, the equilibrium distribution is a particularly nice Markov random field. Actually, if you write down the equilibrium distribution, it uh, from R to J, that would be a Markov process itself, a discrete time Markov process itself. And you could actually write the transition probabilities. In any way, once you, uh, you if you go through that exercise, it turns out that uh, sigma ij in, in magnitude dies like 1 minus q, q is a number between 0 and 1. It, it solves a particular uh, quadratic uh, equality uh, to the power that's equal to the distance between i and j. 
Okay? So if as i and j gets far apart, you have exponential uh, decay in the covariances. That really tells us that perhaps instead of con considering all of the nodes in the uh, uh, rate adaptation, maybe we just can consider the neighbors. Okay? There's going to be some loss of optimality, but hopefully that's not too much. Now, considering the neighbors is actually really uh, nice uh, for the following reason. Remember that sigma ij has a particular form over there. Now, what is sigma ii when j is equal to i? When, we, when j is equal to i, that first probability is nothing but uh, probability ai is equal to 1. And uh, that really becomes a... Uh, so sigma ii of r is mu i times 1 minus mu i. Again, mu i is that probability over there. Right? So there's no joint uh, statistics to be measured. Measuring a joint statistic is, 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 is not really possible unless uh, you have supernatural powers in such a large uh, network. Now sigma ij, if they are neighbors, remember that if i and j are neighbors, they can't be active at the same time. So the first term would be zero. Okay. Now again, there's a very simple uh, uh, quantity that doesn't involve any joint statistics. So you could measure your own activity probability and just uh, work with that. All right, so the approximation idea then is uh, instead of having a sum over all i, just have a sum over the neighbors or perhaps a subset of the neighbors. The, the two uh, 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 choices that I will have in the next slide, I think, for uh, the, the subset is uh, the subset being equal to node j only, and that's being equal to the whole set of neighbors of node j. Okay? But you could go anything in between. You could do anything in between. Here's a numerical example. It's not a great uh, example, but uh, it's worthwhile uh, showing. It's exactly the same uh, topology. Uh, the um, uh, the objective function here is uh, uh, the sum of mu i's, so the total bandwidth utilization. And um, the top uh, line, which is probably not very visible, the top line is uh, close to minus 6. Uh, no, this is, sum of the, this is sum of the logs. I'm sorry, sum of the logs of mu i's. So the top line is minus 6, and that's the solution of the... Uh, optimization problem that we had from the beginning. Uh, now if you, uh, the, the solid line is when you uh, are looking at the global information. The dashed line is when you look at only the uh, neighbors. And the, um, uh, the, the green line is uh, when you look at only yourself and discard everything else in, in the network. That doesn't, work, uh, that doesn't work really well in this particular uh, topology, I can explain why, but uh, in the interest of time, I might want to go ahead with other discussion here. Uh, one thing that I should say here is that uh, if you extend the time axis a little bit, uh, the global information one actually converges uh, to the maximum as the uh, theorem states. Okay. <clears throat> Alright, so um, how about the second problem there? I was... Uh, referring to an explicit signaling issue there. Implicit signaling seems to be uh, a, a fairly evasive uh, concept uh, to, to catch optimality, but there's one situation in which you don't need uh, explicit signaling to realize optimality. Uh, suppose that your utilities are log functions. Okay? And also, the graph is completely connected. Every node is a neighbor of uh, another, so you can have one transmission at a time. Uh, now let's rewrite that uh, gradient ascent algorithm. Uh, so that's exactly what I had before. Now, uh, the, the marginal utility, utilities log, is 1 over mu. Uh, and if you just plug in, so remember that in, in a completely connected graph, every node is a neighbor of another, so these sigma ij's are just like what we had uh, written uh, in, two, in two slides earlier. 
Uh, and it really, t if you plug those expressions in, it really turns out that uh, this sum is 1 minus the, s the summation of the transmission probabilities there. And for a completely gra connected graph, this is nothing but the probability that the channel is idle. So uh, in this particular case, uh, a node can just measure the probability that the, node is, uh, the, the channel is idle and then update its access probability accordingly uh, and uh, wouldn't need any explicit information from other nodes. Okay? So that's one situation where you can have some hope that uh, uh, a common protocol may not be needed uh, to, to coordinate uh, fair access uh, to, to the spectrum, to the available spectrum. Okay. Obviously, this is optimal in a uh, completely connected graph, but it can be applied to other graphs. It won't be optimal, but it can be applied. Uh, I have a very unreliable uh, uh, graph here uh, that's obtained by uh, increasing the density of nodes in a, in a unit square. Uh, but uh, they, these are obtained by only a few, uh, by averaging only a few cases. Uh, we're still doing the simulations and getting numbers, but uh, it, it seems like random, uniform random graphs, it, there's some possibility that it's not going to really hurt you uh, resorting to that approximate schemes. Okay. So the blue points are the solutions of the um, uh, optimization problem, the static optimization problem, and the other points really uh, tell us in this particular case uh, what we obtain through uh, approximations. <clears throat> All right. Um, so, so that's for a single channel. Let's uh, try to look at what happens when we have multiple channels. Right. Uh, <clears throat> now, multiple channels, uh, there's a lot of activity here, I know, about uh, multi-channel algorithm, multi-channel networks and uh, medium access algorithms there. Uh, uh, and uh, the, the medium access uh, in situations with multiple narrowband channels is closely related to graph coloring. Okay. Now, there, there's no graph here, a lot of colors, but uh, I, there's, there's another story that I want to uh, emphasize here. Uh, now, we may, uh, we may consider situations that arise actually uh, in the context of cognitive networks where not all of the channels are available at every physical location, geographical location in the network. That, uh, that uh, arises in particular in the white spaces discussion. Okay. Uh, so uh, with respect to the US, uh, new US regulations, uh, certain uh, TV channels are open to unlicensed access as long as uh, the unlicensed user does not uh, uh, disturb a, a licensed user called a primary user. Okay. The primary users in that particular case could be digital TV receivers. And uh, you may have a certain receiver in a given uh, locality, uh, but not at, a, at another locality. And here's a geographical region. So the, the uh, yellow color is uh, the, the uh, locations where only one channel is available, C1. Uh, in, in the remaining three regions, there are two channels available. There are different sets of two channels, C1 and C2, uh, in green and so on and so forth. Uh, so um, if you superimpose uh, a network on this picture, uh, so some node sits right on the uh, intersection of everything, so that really means that only channel C1 is available uh, to that middle node. And it has a bunch of neighbors. That neighbor has, can use two channels, uh, basically C1 and C3, uh, only C1, C1 and C4, so on and so forth. So what I'm trying to make here, is, to say here, is that uh, um, the problem is, uh, is even harder than graph coloring. It's, uh, it's a graph, it's, it's, a, it's a list coloring problem where uh, the colors are actually constrained at different locations. All right, so what can we do there anyway? Um, 
there's a constructive perspective, uh, which has its own limits, but uh, uh, there's a constructive perspective that depends on uh, randomly choosing the channel to transmit at every transmission. Okay, so I'm going to put a new box in the previous uh, flow chart, and it's, it's that box over there. So <coughs> a note says a timeout, when the timeout expires, makes a random choice as to which channel it's going to choose for the transmission, and then uh, senses that channel. If the channel is idle, transmits. Otherwise, says the uh, 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 timeout again. This is a little bit silly because uh, even though there's, a, there's an available channel, you may end up not transmitting because you do the channel choice before you do the sensing. However, I'll stick with that and it's going to turn out that it doesn't really bother you too much as long as you have enough channels. Um, okay, so how would you, so there are two things to consider here. Uh, before, we didn't have that middle box and we were adapting the back-off rate or the channel access rate. Uh, now we have this particular box, uh, the, the second box over here, the variable there is the probability distribution as to which channel to choose and that's going to be adaptive. Okay. I'm going to make the channel uh, distribution, channel selection distribution adaptive so that uh, two neighbors will be more likely to choose different channels. Okay. So if it's uh, uniform all over the place that would be terrible but, but uh, the update algorithm should take care of that. Uh, one can consider a lot of update algorithms. Uh, the particular one that I want to talk about here is actually has a nice connection to some is a distant connection to some uh, biological, e evolutionary biology uh, concepts is what's called a replicator dynamics. But before that let me introduce some um, notation. Let PIC would be the probability that node I chooses channel C in that particular box. Okay, so, so that particular box, if this is node I's flow chart, it, it chooses uh, channel C with probability PIC. So PI is an equilibrium distribution. C ranges from the number of available channels. Uh, and um, uh, think, of, think of an objective function also, call it J of P. Uh, P uh, again, would be the collection of all distributions, channel selection distributions in all nodes. Uh, now here, I'm suppressing the dependence on the uh, back-off rates, just for uh, purposes of uh, illustration. So that's all the, the uh, objective function. It could be the sum of bandwidth utilizations uh, over the whole network, for example, is also dependent on the channel access rates. But let's take that as a fixed quantity for the time being. Okay. So here's uh, one way to update uh, the uh, channel access probabilities, channel selection probabilities. That's another uh, ODE and uh, so uh, it, uh, channel access probability increases in a way that's proportional to the probability itself and, uh, and that's um, um, the uh, sign is positive if the uh, margin, if, if the partial, if, if the increase of, uh, with respect, increase of the uh, uh, objective function with respect to that uh, particular variable is larger than the average increase with respect to all other local variables. Okay. So the second sum here is an expectation is a certain expectation of the partial derivatives okay. and I node I is invariant in all of these so it's, it's a local algorithm okay. the, the, the only the, the one thing that makes it uh, non-local is that those J's depend on all of the distributions P right. so uh, there's a particular uh, uh, name to uh, dynamics like that called replicator dynamics it arises in, in, a diff in, in a range of different settings. The nice thing about this is um, uh, if 
PICs are updated like that. If you start out with a, uh, equal, with a probability distribution, PIC will stay at uh, equal, a, a probability distribution, meaning that the sum will be always 1. So sum of PIC dot will be equal to 0, in other, in other words. And if you take a look at the, uh, uh, the, the, the direction uh, of the um, change in the objective function, uh, you, can, you can easily uh, write that down in terms of uh, the chain rule. This is uh, uh, sum over all ICs, uh, the, the change in PIC times uh, the uh, partial derivative of J with respect to PIC. And you just plug in uh, that uh, expression for PIC dot. What you end up finding is that this becomes something like a variance. So it's, it's, it's a variance with respect to a certain distribution. So, uh, so a square, expectation of a square minus square of an expectation. That's non-negative. So the objective function will always be increasing unless um, those marginals are equal uh, for all ICs such that PIC is positive. What I'm actually saying is exactly the Kuhn-Tucker conditions. Okay. So uh, yeah. there's a lot of notation here, so I don't really want to go too much into that. But if you look at this uh, for a couple more seconds, what you see here, you, you can write easily down what are, under which conditions this would be exactly equal to 0. That would be exactly equal to 0 if this random variable is a constant. Zero variance means a constant random variable. It really means that P if PIC is positive, this derivative should be exactly equal to a constant. If this is zero, you don't care about what that uh, derivative is. But th these are the Kuhn-Tucker conditions. So we have another uh, uh, gradient system in terms of the probabilities. And it seems to work well. Uh, I just want to show a couple uh, 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 figures before I wrap up. Uh, here's a very, very simple illustration of uh, how it works. Uh, we have a clique of three nodes, so this is a triangle, and there are three channels at every node. These are the same set of three channels at every node. Um, so the channel access probabilities, uh, three channels, so it's a three-dimensional uh, process. It lives on that uh, simplex. And uh, here uh, I have plotted the simplex uh, as a triangle. And I've started every uh, probability from the um, uh, uniform distribution. So 1 over 3, 1 over 3, 1 over 3. Uh, the probability distribution at node 1, so again, we're talking about three nodes as a, as a triangle probability distribution at node 1 goes and selects, say, channel 3. Probability distribution at node 2 eventually goes and selects. Uh, that's got to be wrong. But uh, yeah, it's got to be here, I guess. These two are the same. It's got to be here. So, and uh, the remaining channel is selected by the remaining uh, node. So it, uh, I mean, if you, if you look at uh, 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 papers in the area of uh, evolutionary games, you'll find uh, plots like that. But it's uh, in this particular case, I wanted to show that anyway. So if we take a look at a more realistic uh, uh, network, well, possibly more realistic uh, topology, uh, here's an arbitrarily chosen topology. Its chromatic index is four, unit, four colors uh, to color this. Uh, and uh, I'm going to assume that uh, here are two uh, plots for the uh, objective function. Here the objective function is the overall bandwidth utilization in the network. Uh, and in the first one you have enough channels so that you can assign a dedicated channel to every uh, queue so that it's, it's not going to uh, go into contention within a neighbor. In the second one, uh, the number of channels is less than the uh, uh, chromatic index, so there's some contention over here. Uh, and it seems, uh, so the, the three uh, 
trajectories here refer to uh, uh, taking, care, taking into account uh, the global information in the network, taking into account only your neighbors, and taking into account only what happens in your, within yourself. Okay. So obviously, as you would expect, this is, uh, this is the uh, local information. Uh, you might want to call it greedy. That's what we called it. And the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the best one seems to be the global information, as you would expect. But the difference is not, it's not too bad. Okay. Uh, yes? The y-axis is the, uh, uh, the overall channel utilization, overall bandwidth utilization. So uh, you sum over all channels and over all nodes the probability that that channel is being in use. Um, all right, so this is my last uh, slide, and that's where I do all the disclaimers. Um, <clears throat> there are a number of open issues, actually. There's, uh, uh, the, the, the first and foremost is that uh, the, the analysis here is very simple. The model is simple. Uh, but, but we haven't been able to uh, obtain bounds on the, on the loss of optimality when you resort to localized algorithms. It, they, it seems to be good uh, from numerical analysis, but uh, we haven't had uh, hard, useful, uh, sort of tight bounds for how much you lose from the, from the optimality. Um, more serious ones, perhaps, uh, are that there's absolutely no account of propagation delay here. Okay, so if, uh, if your neighbor is transmitting, you immediately hear it when it starts. So there's no collisions whatsoever. Okay. Uh, that's obviously, we, we all know how the Ethernet works, uh, the, the, uh, wireless LANs work, and uh, there, there's, there's a lot of work to uh, inject uh, and understand the effects of propagation delays uh, and uh, in terms of the collisions and what's, what's lost and how one can uh, get around that uh, uh, possibility, uh, the, the, that, that problem. Um, the next thing that I, we haven't thought at all is the hidden terminal problem. Okay. It, can be, it can be a non-issue if everybody speaks the same language in the network, uh, perhaps by uh, uh, RTS-CTS type algorithms, uh, but if that's not the case, one has to account for the hidden terminal problem. Uh, in other words, uh, uh, the hidden terminal problem is, is one where uh, I might be interfering with uh, somebody, but uh, I may not be able to hear from them. Okay, so there's a one-way interaction, and if there's no feedback, that's, that's a problem. Um, another interesting direction is uh, uh, the medium access schemes that are not based on CSMA. Examples of that are uh, WiMAX, and uh, apparently, uh, 802.22 new upcoming uh, standards. Um, and those have uh, a fairly structured frame-based uh, channel access schemes. And they, it seems to be drastically different than what we've been studying here. Okay. It, it seems like that's analyzable, actually. And it seems like those kind of access algorithms are very interesting also and probably would account for uh, bullets two and three easily, uh, if one can uh, analyze them uh, in detail. So that's where I want to stop. I think I'm off a little bit, but not too much, hopefully. Uh, if I can get any questions, uh, I would uh, be very happy, actually. I don't think you'll guess, Peter. Uh, I, I was wondering about the algorithm that you've introduced now that assumes that the sources are saturated, but you're still trying to find a solution that's feasible, right, within the... So it finds a collection of news. This is your first half of the talk. Um, I was wondering if, if it turned out that your sources weren't saturated, could you characterize the fairness that would be achieved by using 
the saturated access probability, you know, the, 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 the access probabilities you decide on. You know, it's kind of as a step after the end of you, you've shown that, right. that you can find these, these mu's, and now what happens if the things were unsaturated? Uh, I, 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 we haven't tried that. I think that might uh, be done by um, uh, manipulating the uh, utility functions, perhaps. Uh, but we, uh, we haven't uh, pursued a stochastic perspective to that. Uh, that. That would be very interesting, actually. So the one, one simplification here that we made is, even if you don't have anything to send, you just hold the channel. Yeah, uh, but that, that would be, that's certainly interesting to consider. Well, one thing that I was thinking of is to put something into the uh, uh, utility function to represent perhaps an arrival rate. Yeah. Can I ask a question, Peter? Yeah. 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 Someone else was going to ask a question. Can, no, but I can go you know, one of the things that you were considering later on was the kind of that you would have additional constraints on the channels available to you because of location. But something that Dave can tell you about at great length is in, in wireless lands at around 2.4 gigahertz, one of the interesting things that you find is that different channels actually have different interference properties. Mm. So you have different interference graphs depending on what channel you pick. And, and, and that plays an interesting role and I have no idea how it would affect uh, the utility structure that's available to you because it, it strikes me that maybe the algorithm that you're selecting uh, would organize you to fit on a channel where you weren't colliding with him. I'm not sure that it... Uh, yeah. I actually didn't think about that at all, but that seems to be extremely relevant. Yeah. They, they can show you some very nice graphs where they've seen just uh, graph by graph uh, Measurements. Measurements from, from an experimental aspect where you can see the different frequencies. I don't have a question. No. Um, for the uh, timeout random variable, you, you selected an um, exponential random variable. Um, as far as I know from other talks in this area, the 802.11 has a uniform distribution. That, like you, you uniformly select a time between 0 and 10. 2 to the n minus 1 or something like that. And n equal to 5 is the standard, and then you double and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. What, what's, so, what's the motivation of taking um, exponential random variables? Uh, to end up with a marker. Yeah, that's okay. That's, 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 the the that's what I want. Uh, that's about it. I mean, uh, uh, obviously, the, the, um, the implementation of the back of the procedure uh, in the data level. If you go back to uh, the uh, the underlying idea, there is is to uh, uh, be less aggressive if there are more collisions. And uh, the 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 goal here is to capture that, but in, in a tractable fashion. So I I think that's probably one other thing that I should uh, have apologized about. And uh, one has to really check whether it's uh, it's an accurate. Uh, as, as, as far as the final analysis is concerned, is it, whether it's an accurate uh, tool uh, in the analysis. Because obviously, you can analyze it, but if it gives you really off values, uh, then that limits its utility. Yes? If Doug was in the room, he would, he would defend you in a strange way by, by saying that you can at least approximate it using 802.11e parameters. You could force 802.11 stations to behave quite a lot more closely, not quite exponential, but well, something a lot more closely than that. Uh, so the new standards allows you a lot more room to change certain parameters. And you could, if you wanted to, I'm not sure why you would, but you could force the system to look more the system racks than the, the, the one that comes out of the box.
I wouldn't defend you. As quickly, so presumably there can be in these sort of situations where you have a clique and it decides one guy should transmit all the time and the other guys shouldn't transmit. I would guess the it won't be obvious at all if you start at a particular place what final configuration that you end up in. It's probably one of these chaotic things, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Because it looked at the one where you have the three of them walking out to the independent channels with the little, funny little jagged things in the path. Mm -hmm. Made it look like it might be doing something actually quite complicated. Yeah. Now the the, the thing is, yes. I mean, if, uh, now if you're doing the um, global update, or uh, that's a that's a gradient algorithm okay, so for a concave function. That there's no questions so about that. Okay. But if you start uh, sort of disturbing it by mm -hmm. uh, looking at the related but but a simpler, different uh, dynamical system, that dynamical system might possibly have local maximum. You might get stuck there, and actually, we've seen examples of that. So that's why one of one of the problems here is is to quantify what what happens if you just limit yourself to local processes, and it, it seems to be a challenge. Yes. So no more questions. Let's thank Murat again.